The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2018 New Year's Conference. More information about the New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. I think often when followers of Jesus have not been about it, but they just shoot the breeze about it, it really sets back the time that we're going to have together today in this moment. Being from Mexican-American descent, whenever it's Christmas, it's tamale time. And I remember, I know y'all like, mm, amen, that's what's up, y'all riding. So here's the thing, I went to a restaurant in North Carolina one time with my wife. Because some people that live in the city, I ain't gonna blow somebody's spot, but the city that we was in in North Carolina, they was like, oh, you're Mexican, let's go to a Mexican restaurant. And I'm like, oh, gee, if it ain't in Cali, it ain't gonna be about that. So I'm good, are you sure y'all wanna do this? Oh no, this is the best Mexican food ever. And I'm like, but y'all ain't Latino, Latina, y'all ain't got no kind of Spaniard background at all. Like, and I'm really gonna ride with your testimony. They're like, no, trust me, the tamales are the best. And I'm like, tamales, not tamales, those are like little candies. And they was like, no, trust us. So I'm like, all right, bet, I'm gonna trust y'all. So we rode with them. And I ordered the tamales, and they brought the tamales out. And I was like, uh, I think there's a little, <laughs> uh, bruh, like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know what's going on on my plate right now. Could you hook a brother up, tell me what's really going on in the kitchen? Like, wh- what is this? He was like, tamales. And I'm like, okay, maybe tamales. Where I'm from is tamales, and these are not tamales. Did y'all even use corn? I'm like, I don't know what this is. And so I took a bite, and I'm like, I'm going to be honest, man. Did y'all get these out of a can? And, and they were like, I'll ask the chef. And I'm like, man, just go back there and ask, oh, boy, like, did y'all get these out of a can? That's all I need to know. Long story short, they got them out of a can. And a few stomach aches later, I began to process and think through, like, man, so often people do their best. Maybe they don't have access to a recipe or the recipe they have is maybe insufficient because food is subjective. Because the couple that we were with, they was like, these are the most banging tamales this side of the Mason-Dixon. And I'm like, all right, but that ain't Cali. So I'm like, it's subjective, right? There, there's no overarching, like, stamp of approval, FDA, USDA, Latino imperialized perspective of these are the official tamales of the union, right? So I dig that. But the thing that I began to process through and think through was the fact that, man, so often when we think through God, And this concept of a supreme being who is actually for me, who is actually riding with me, who actually maybe am I on his good side or on a bad side? Is he a he? Is he a she? Is she an it? Like what what, what do we do with all these conflicting thoughts? Well, where I feel that we as followers of Jesus have been irresponsible is when we don't follow the recipe of Scripture to forecast why the proof of God's, not his existence, but his holiness and his goodness is in the pudding. And often when you have people that may make the pudding, but they don't follow the recipe and they pass it off as pudding, like what they were doing with the tamales, excuse me, tamales, not the tamales, is that I was like, yo, these are not tamales. Often when people express their faith in God or they advocate Jesus Christ, it's coming from a perspective that is not following the recipe that we see outlined in the story of God. So when I talk about the story of God, I got to frame it this way. When you look at Scripture, the Bible, you've got to understand it from the vantage point that it's like a Netflix series. 
Legit, follow me. It's like a Netflix series. There's four seasons with 66 episodes. There's one plot that is moving from episode one, season one, all the way to the finale in the 66th episode of the fourth season. And the main character of the story of God is Jesus. It's not me and you. But we live in a society that is so subjective, consumeristic, and individualistic that we think that we are the main character in the story of God. And that's the juncture point that we become amiss and we begin to get off the path of the recipe and we create something else that was not God's intended purpose. And so as we think about the story of God and we think about how each and every one of us has an individual story. Because every single one of us has a vantage point. And I'm going to keep it 300 with you. Your vantage point is valued. Your vantage point needs to be voiced. Because God has given you the ability to communicate, to think, and to give your perspective. And guess what? The rest of us can come up together as we glean from wisdom and insight from each other. And the reality that I think of that truth hits me to the core of my soul to say, so how is the story of God going to connect with my story and how can it connect with your story? And the bridge that connects our story to God's story is this message called the gospel. And in Romans 1, 16 and 17, as we heard, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The first thing we hear in that passage is that I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is a dude by the name of Paul writing this to cats in a city called Rome that he ain't ever met and engaged with. He couldn't wait to meet them. So he's writing ahead, sending this text message, and they receiving it like, oh, okay. And he's breaking them off with the insight that he is not ashamed of this message called the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Now that phrasing, power of God, is legit talking about the omnipotent, non-lacking, all-powerful, boomingness of God that is in one precise message. I mean, to think about it, when you take an antibiotic and you got them horse pill antibiotics, depending on whatever condition you got, and it's like they done shoved everything in your mama's sink and kitchen and bathroom into that one little capsule, and you take that 300,000 milligram pill, and boom, all of a sudden, everything is cured, even your GPA. Like, everything is fixed all because of that. What we think of the gospel is the omnipotent power of God that is the only cure for our sin sickness, which is a disease that we inherited from our first father. Now, I'm going to get into season three in a minute, but I want you to track with me from the big vantage point from where we are right now. The power of God. If you want to see God's power on display, make the message of the gospel known. Because the gospel is what hits the hardest of human hearts and shatters it and crumbles it when we recognize our own brokenness, our insufficiency, that we cannot save ourselves and we need to declare spiritual bankruptcy. That there is somebody greater than me that can pay me out of this debt that I have racked up on my own. I mean, when we follow chapter 7 to chapter 11, you're going to learn a little something about this when Sally Mae started hitting y'all up after graduation. And when you start saying, oh, 
my debt is greater than I have the means from my income to debt ratio to bail myself out. I need the court to step in and say, we will discharge your debt. Not student loans, but the rest of your debt, we going to discharge. Hey, I'm an OG big homie trying to give y'all some knowledge, man. Y'all need to be getting these life skills down. So what the courts to say is that, okay, to declare bankruptcy is to declare I am insufficient. I have a deficiency. I've racked up this mountain of debt. I cannot chip this mug down. I need someone to remove this. Spiritual bankruptcy is the same thing. I have racked up this debt of sin against a holy and righteous God. And none of my, quote, good works, unquote, none of my, quote, church attendance, unquote, none of my, quote, good deeds, unquote, can ever chip away at this payment because not, that's not the means of currency that God accepts for the payment of sins. See, in the story of God, what we recognize, it's like this. If I were to roll up into a corner store in my neighborhood in Long Beach. And I, I, get some, I get some Takis, get some Kool-Aid in the bottle that they'll be selling out the trunk of the car. It's all legal, no alcohol, just put that out there so y'all know. And if I get some donuts, because there's donuts, donut shops everywhere in California. So if I get those things and it comes up to about $300,000, which is typical Cali inflation prices, <laughs> and I get that, if I pulled out some Monopoly money, they gonna look at me like, fool, you better roll before you get shot. And I'm like, what you talking about? Bro, this is good, grade A, Monopoly money. Like, bro, take this so I can get these goods and take them back home to the crib and enjoy and partake. They're going to be like, you're going to get your life took if you don't come up with some real American dollars, bro. You got a debit card, a chip in it, EBT, whatever you got, homie, we take those forms of currency because it all goes back to the mighty American dollar. You can't roll up in here with some fake currency. Well, all of our good deeds... All of our charitable attributions, all of our volunteer hours, whether they're corner-ported or not, all of our good things, God is like, that ain't even the acceptable currency. You're trying to roll up to God with some monopoly money talking about, hey, put this on my books. And God is like, that ain't what I accept. The only accepted payment that God receives is shed blood from a pure, unblemished, spotless sacrifice. Someone that would die in the place of someone who committed the crime. And the reality of the currency of that blood shed is where the story of God progresses to profess the work of Jesus Christ. See, when we hear this message in the gospel, that is when we recognize God's power put on display for what? God's power always has a purpose. Let me run it back one more again. God's power always has a purpose. God just don't be out there flexing his power to make us be like, oh, I'm scared. Like, he ain't, supposed, he ain't on that. He ain't looking for props from us. From the, he's, he's completely self-sufficient in his holy character. He doesn't need the applause. He's not thirsty for attention. The reality of it is, is because he's holy, he's perfect, he's all good, he demands praise because of his goodness of his character. And the reality of what we see is that he desires to show his power for a purpose, and the purpose is for us to be saved from the penalty of the debt that we have racked up. The reality of what Jesus did is that he lived the perfect life you and I could never live. And the way that we frame the idea of God's holiness in the contents of Scripture that he revealed to us is that he defines holiness as being completely removed from anything that is sinful. 
He is given a set of commands to develop life rhythms for those who are going to be his followers. And we see this in Scripture. The crazy thing about it is, is that not a single one of us has kept those commands. And even the people that he gathered for himself to save, to redeem them out of slavery, out of Egypt, they perpetually fell on their face and they ran and played the whore with other gods, false gods, other nations' gods. When they said, nah, we, we, we gonna be all in with you, promise, we put that on everything, everything I love, I'm gonna teach my kids about you. And they didn't. And we see this throughout the story of God. It's a God who could have smashed them at any moment But because of his compassion, he withheld. And the amazing thing about the work of Jesus is even seen in the compounded interest of the debt that he absorbed when he was on the cross. Like, you're going to learn a word after graduation. It's a wonderful word. And as a PhD student, it's a word that I have to throw out every six months when Sally Mae and her kinfolk be hitting me up for money, right? It's this wonderful word called forbearance. Can you say forbearance? Forbearance is when I tell them, oh, yo, check it out. I ain't got your money this week from my student loan because, see, I'm in this Ph.D. program. And in this Ph.D. program, because I'm full-time status of my student, the stipulation according to the contract that I signed, y'all said that as long as I am pursuing a degree full-time status, that I can forbear my timeline of repayment for the student loans that I have had. So forbearance says we're going to square up. At a later date. We ain't gonna do it right now, but we're gonna, that's all it means, all right? We're gonna square up at a later date. But for everyone that professed to be a follower of God throughout the first part of God's story in Scripture, every single command that they broke, every law of His that they broke, God kept stacking up and stacking up and stacking up and said, We're gonna square up at a future date. That future date, is when Jesus hung on the cross. And the reality of that is that we have to understand this. It's it's simple, but it's beautiful at the same time. Is that the reality of Jesus, and we just celebrated what, what I prefer to call Advent versus Christmas, the first arrival of Jesus, humble, humble in a manger, is that he lived the perfect life that not a single one of us could live. He walked in consistent obedience to 613 laws that God had communicated in his story that not a single one of his followers could ever, ever keep. And so Jesus, we have to back up. We have to understand that he is fully God. And when he arrived for the first time and invaded our world, he added to his full deity, full humanity, similar to the way we put clothes on. He added that to his nature. And he lived, moved, and he had his being. And the reality of what he did is he walked in consistent obedience to God's laws. And he expressed the reality that the kingdom of God is here. He spoke to the marginalized. He spoke to the oppressed. He communicated truth to the oppressor. Jesus was telling everyone, I am the main character of God's story. As you look throughout the scriptures, he's like, look at all the plot clues. They point to me. Over 333 plot clues point to this Messiah. And Jesus boldly declared, I am he. Often people from other faiths or philosophies or ideologies will say, Jesus never said he was God. I'm like, you bugging. 
The phrase in the Greek, go on me, is an emphatic I, I am, which is a derivative of back to what he said to Moses in the burden bush in Hebrew, a year, I share a year, which means I'm going to be who I'm going to be, cuz. I added the cuz part because they, they weren't hip to that in Hebrew. But when Jesus said, hey, go on me, even the Jews knew, oh, snap, this dude is saying he's God. So what did they do? They picked up stones to mark him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted his blood to fill the streets because they was like, oh, this boy on some other stuff right now. Because he knew he was God. And he told no lie in professing I, I am. So when he hung on that cross, he submitted himself to be the pure, spotless, unblemished sacrifice that shed the only currency that God accepts for the removal of our sin debt, which is blood. Shed blood from a pure sacrifice that is unblemished and spotless. But here's what's dope about Jesus that proves his eternality and at the same time the effectiveness of his sinless perfected life because he's sinless and he is perfect because he is God is the fact that when he was buried and he rose three days later, that proved to everyone that the payment that he made, it legit went through. It reminds me of every time I see all my homies at Starbucks. I go to Starbucks and I get the quad shot, grande, caramel macchiato hot. And again, in L.A., it's like $113,000. And so my wife manages the financial situation of the Horton family. She's more responsible than I am. She's gifted in that area. I am not. I'm gifted in spending. She's gifted in saving. We make it work. And so when they say... What's your name? I give them my name, write it on the cup, they prepare to drink. I'm like, you know what? I'm a little hungry right now. I ain't hangry, but I'm hungry, which is more than hungry. So I'm like, let me get that good cheese Danish on top of that. They're like, all right, that's another 50,000 racks. I'm like, bet, charge it up, let's go. So then they give me the amount of money that is owed. Pull out that good old debit card. And I notice, ooh, Starbucks, you late. You ain't got no chip reader. So I got to... I got to swipe it, bro, for real. Come on, I got to swipe it. So I swipe the card. Then there's this awkward pause because they looking at me like, boy, you ain't got the money. And I'm like, boy, I hope I got the money. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this word pops up on the screen. This word says, approved. I'm like, yeah, I get my cheese Danish warmed up, please. And y'all got my, okay, cool. I got this confidence, right? I'm feeling myself, feeling good about myself for the first time in years. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> then out pops this little piece of paper from, what you call that little piece of paper? Receipt. What's the receipt got? The receipt says when the payment was made, how much it was made for, what the amount is owed, zero. So I grab my cheese Danish that's been warmed up. They call my name, name on the cup, walk out. If somebody would have accused me of stealing those items, that paraphernalia from Starbucks, be like, y'all tripping. I got the receipt. Shows everything that I paid for, showed what the cost was and what the balance is. This cup has my name on it. The receipt has my name on it. My debit card has my name on it. It all points back to me. This was one Starbucks. I purchased it. Now I'm walking out because it is now in my possession. The reality of what Jesus did on the cross is that when he climbed on the cross, he told God, let's run with it. I want you to pour the amount of their debt, not just 
everyone that lived before him that put trust in God's plan of a future Messiah. All their forbearance now was put on Jesus. But everyone that would be born and hear the gospel after the resurrection of Jesus, that sin debt from all of us was also placed on Jesus. This is an eternal debt, which means you can't do a 25 to 30 and get off on good behavior in the lake of fire. There is no such teaching in Scripture. This means eternal, which means it is not ending, which means it is conscious, which means you will be aware of where you are and you can never get out. And if there is an eternal debt that is racked up against us and we're finite creatures, that means it is impossible for something finite to consume something that is infinite. It would be like if we were to go to the ocean and I give me a 32-ounce cup and I've been down in the ocean, and I'm going to tell y'all, when I pull my hand out of the ocean with this cup, I will have the whole Atlantic Ocean in my cup. Y'all going to be like, fool, you dumb. <laughs> Bruh, you wasted my whole life bringing me to this beach to tell me that. And I'm like, no, legit, for real, don't be judging me. Like, when I pull my hand up, all the Atlantic Ocean going to be in this cup. you like, bro, no. You ain't even going to watch. Then you're going to walk away and you're going to pull out that new iPhone 10 like Will got. And you're going to say, no, this fool going to go viral because of how dumb he going to look. So y'all ready to get all your follows, right? So y'all ready to go? And I pull it up and I'm like, behold the Atlantic Ocean. And y'all going to be like, bruh, behold the Atlantic Ocean holding you. Because that 32-ounce cup, that volume that can be held in that cup cannot contain the volume of the Atlantic Ocean. Only something that is greater than the Atlantic Ocean. See, we racked up a sin debt to think, oh, I can chip away with church attendance, temple attendance, mosque attendance, or being a good person, doing good things, getting that 4.2 GPA, getting that internship, climbing the corporate ladder, having a white fence with pickets and kids and volleyball coach and t-ball coach and pushing that Maserati or having my SoundCloud go all the way up or having my SoundCloud go all the way down, like all those things. That does nothing to chip away from the debt that you, a finite creature, have racked up on an eternal basis. And you will be consumed by the debt, which is the wrath of God that is being poured out. But that's the dope reality about Jesus is that when he was on that cross, he told God, run the Atlantic Ocean, throw the Pacific, throw the Indian, Arctic, Atlantic, the Baltic Sea, throw everything that they have racked up on me and I will be a sponge. And in a matter of three hours, I will absorb an eternal payment on all of these finite creatures' behalf because they can't do it. Now, it's one thing to say, oh, that's very commendable. But this is why the resurrection is so crucial. Because when Jesus rose out the grave, that was God popping up the word approved. That the payment that Jesus submitted was received by the only one that can discharge you from your debt. And that receipt is the empty tomb and the bloody cross. That's what the story of God professes. Going back to Romans 1, 16 and 17, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Righteousness can only come from one source, and that is God. He is morally perfect. He is absolutely righteous he is completely removed from anyone or anything that is sinful. And the gospel is the one message that God speaks to us individually because the gospel transcends every culture, every language, 
every tribe, every ethnicity. When Jesus rose from the grave, his purpose was to create a new humanity that would be made up of men and women from every ethnicity imaginable, redeemed as one family. This is why sexism and racism and elitism and classism, when these things are practiced by Christians, those are tamales. That ain't tamales. Because the gospel frees us from those systemic structures that sinful human beings have built to segregate us from ourselves to make some inferior and some superior. That is completely opposite of what we see in God's story. So whenever those things are communicated or practiced by people who profess to be followers of Jesus or they are legit followers of Jesus, this is where God says, I call you to repent, which means you call out your sin, you confess it, you seek my forgiveness, and you work to make things right to those that you have wronged. That's a tall glass of water to drink. But that's the motivation that we have when we have had a face-to-face -face encounter with God, that we recognize my sin, my brokenness, my choices, my debt, I racked it up, but you loved me enough to pursue me where I was. Jesus came and found me in the streets when I was 15 years old, and I sure wasn't looking for Jesus. And I've been walking with him for the past 22 years, and it ain't been all good. It's been bouts of depression, it's been suicidal thoughts in that thing, there's been a legit bankruptcy early on in my marriage. There's three kids, 14-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 5-year-old with special needs. It ain't all good. But the thing that I recognize is the more that I dive into the story of God, the more that I process, the more that I recognize, man, you are holy and righteous. And you love a broken, sinful dude like me, and you are with me for the long haul, not just for a one-night stand. So who am I to talk about I'm cashing in my chips when things get hard? I've got to keep following you and keep loving you because you are faithful and you've showed yourself to be faithful when I didn't even have any faith. And so as I close this evening, as it relates to your story, maybe you've been given tamales. Maybe you ain't never really encountered tamales from God's word. I'm doing the best I can to follow the recipe that he has provided. And I want you to know the brokenness in all of our lives from abuse, molestation, addictions to substances, alcohol, porn, sex, self-mutilation, abortions, all these things that people want to shame you with. Listen, that was not a part of God's design for our lives. But the reality of it is, God knows that we have scars, and he loves you no less. He poured the penalty for our brokenness and our sin out on Jesus, who lovingly took it on our behalf so that we could be restored and made new. That's how the story of God ends. That there's going to come a day when these sinful addictions that low-key we really hate, but we actually love the pleasure, it's going to be gone. There's going to come a time when our tears will be bottled up and we will weep no more. There's going to come a time when you no longer have to sit there and contemplate, do I want to end it tonight or do I really want to face tomorrow? Like all that tension, all that angst, we serve a God who says, I meet you in the tension. I don't run away from you when you're in it. 
I'm there to love you, there to hold you, there to protect you, there to embrace you, there to lead you and guide you. All because we declared that bankruptcy and said, I need you. I can't do this on my own. And he meets us individually where we are in the midst of wherever our story is. When I was 15 is when I gave God the pen and said, hey, bruh, you're going to write this story a whole lot better than I will because I ain't even going to live to see 18. And I gave him the pen and said, now you write my story. You finish it because I found the bridge that connects my story to your story. So tonight, I want you to think through that. Where are you in your story? Because the bridge has been proclaimed. There is a God who loves you, that sent his son, who loved you, who lived the life that you and I could not live, and who says that if you come to me and declare bankruptcy, not only will you be forgiven, here's the dope thing about spiritual bankruptcy I wanted to save to the end. With legit bankruptcy, you just get put back to zero. All your creditors got to fall back. But you got to stack your bread by yourself. You got to build yourself back up. Spiritual bankruptcy, it's completely different. So you had this infinite debt. You accept Christ as your savior. You embrace him. Not only because of his shed blood is your debt wiped away. You're not just left hanging there with a zero balance. Here's what's dope. Is that God takes the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus and he direct deposits that mug into your account. So now when God looks at you, he doesn't see the broken you. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus that now covers you for all of eternity. And he declares you eternally not guilty. He ain't into double jeopardy. He ain't going to take some accusations from the evil one who hates your soul and entertain them and put you back through another trial. Nah, Jesus was tried on your behalf. He took the execution sentence on your behalf. There is no more wrath. There is no more penalty once you embrace Jesus. Now when God looks at you, he sees you as holy because he is holy. That's the good God we serve. Let me pray for us. Father, I just pray that you would massage this truth into our heart, that you would allow us to ponder and think through these realities, that you would meet us where we are, Father. And I just pray that you would speak to us in ways that we can understand, that you would help us to process the real truth of your word and your story as we process the gospel, which is the bridge that connects your story to our story. And I pray that you would move us steps closer to you and understanding how good of a God you are, that you who are perfectly holy would be willing to see us as perfectly holy, even though we know we're not, if we embrace Christ as our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach.